Hello, friends. Welcome to the Industrial Marketing Show, the number one podcast for marketers in the manufacturing space. I am one of your hosts, Matthew Shinoa. And I'm MJ Peters. Okay, MJ. So today I want to talk about, uh, we're going to go back to content. And I found this really exciting unboxing video from the good folks at Banks Power. Um, Mr. Banks, who I believe is the person who does most of these videos, they did an unboxing video and, and you know, Unboxing videos are something that uh, a lot of direct-to-consumer brands do. A lot of subscription boxes do. It's a big part of like, you know, they say about subscription uh, about unboxings. It's like, it's the only thing you can send a customer that has 100% open rate, right? And so something that not a lot of manufacturing companies put a lot of stock in, um, including, I think, my own experience when I worked at Benza, like the packaging was like an afterthought. I don't know your experience at Firetrace and what your packaging looks like, but I kind of wanted to talk unboxing in general. Um, but I also wanted to look at this unboxing video and I'm going to put the link in the show notes, but it is an engineering unbox is the title of the series from banks power. And they do, it's not just like a box thing you can lift. Like it's from Amazon. It's a, it's a CNC plasma table. It literally comes on a pallet. Um, and they do the uncrating and it's wrapped in ugly white plastic. And so you're thinking like, well, this can't possibly be an interesting See it. This, this can't possibly be an interesting unboxing video. On contraire, it actually is very interesting. Um, and the reason it's interesting is because one, their host is a phenomenal host who explains the sort of intricacies of the machine and what it does. But what's more interesting about it is how they go through the trouble of telling the founder story of the company who made the plasma table, which is one of the major metal fabrication companies out there in the world, Lincoln Electric. And uh, I thought it was just excellent. They they talked about his name. The founder's name is John Cromwell Lincoln. He talked about how he got started building chargers for electric motors. At the same time, Nikola Tesla invented um, the was was experimenting with um, with um, wireless communication. Yeah, wireless communication systems. They talked about how John Cromwell Lincoln invented flux. He invented the first portable welder. He was just he had fifty five patents. He uh, he got approved by the U.S. Patent Office and. Um, it was it was the the unboxing video itself is you know it's 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 a good unboxing video but was was really interesting to me about that content it was 17 minutes long okay it's not just like a 5 minute about 17 minutes and you can see in the comments first off it's got 20,000 views and it's been out since January 29th so obviously people were watching it and are consuming that content see the comments on it qualitatively only Mr. Banks can get me to sit through a 17 minute Lincoln ad and enjoy it every single second of it and that to me is super powerful. I don't know if Lincoln paid um, um, paid Banks Power to do that or not, but the content itself is great. It's very entertaining. It moves quickly for 17 minutes. But the thing that got me thinking about this for manufacturing companies, because this is a manufacturing company doing an unboxing video, is why don't more companies try to do this? And why don't more companies think about unboxing videos as content pieces and ways to bring in micro influencers or influencers in general into their kind of sphere because it's a cool thing that they would do for you um, that I just don't I just don't think it's leveraged a lot and this is a huge product it's tens of thousands if not a hundred thousand dollars it's it looks terrible as terms of like it's not sexy boxing or anything like that it's on a big pallet you need a forklift to lift it up and yet it was an incredibly interesting unboxing video because they did a great job weaving storytelling into it and and, and all of those things so. Um, I've talked about four minutes straight on why I like this unboxing video so much. And so I want to see the floor to you a little bit here, get your input and your impression of it too. Yeah. I mean, I would say 
the most interesting thing to me outside the fact that clearly the customers love the host, Mr. Banks, uh, as evidenced by that comment that you shared. The most interesting thing to me is that Banks Power is like an aftermarket vehicle supplier. Yes. Like they, they make like they make cars go faster, I think, is basically their value proposition. Basically, they basically soup up anything and then just make it go fast. Yeah. And so like why would they do an unboxing video about a CNC machine? And I think it just comes down to engineering culture. Mm -hmm. And that's why they were so fascinated by the founder story of the founder of Lincoln Electric. Like that was, I think, a very deliberate decision by someone inside of banks to say, we're going to put engineering culture at the forefront of our brand. And that is manifesting itself here in this content. It's not a... Um, you know, it's not a marketing play that you could get direct attribution on, right? Like somebody watched the video of me unboxing this piece of equipment I'm going to use in my production facility, but it's a touch point for their brand. And it's very consistent with that choice they made to put engineering culture at the forefront. I think what's really interesting about it too, is Mr. Banks, who is the, is the owner of this company clearly is in every single one of these videos right? He does everything for Banks Power, all 200 whatever thousand subscribers that they have. He's in every video explaining it. So he's clearly um, he's clearly on board. He's bought in. He believes in it probably because he sees the kind of engagement that he gets, which clearly leads him to believe that this helps his company sell more, even if he can't directly attribute, it to, attribute anything to it. But to me, it's just the power of like you said, leaning into what works for your culture, but also just a constant curiosity. I think when you see the video um, itself, he says very early on, like, I love inventors because I'm an inventor myself. And and John Cromwell Lincoln, who's uh, the founder, founder of Lincoln in the 1800s, just gravitated towards him immediately. And you could just tell the excitement with which, and I, you go farther down into the cutting table itself when they're like eight, nine minutes in, the excitement with which he talks about the features of it and how he breaks down what it can do. It's a really slick video. He does a better job selling that product for Lincoln than Lincoln could ever possibly do themselves. He talks about, because I mean, I watched this whole, I watched the whole video over the weekend and I watched a little more of it today. I mean, they, he goes through all the HDMI and all the user interface on the product and he talks about how easy it is to program a cut, why they bought it in the first place, which you know is a good reference point for a lot of people looking for a CNC uh, plasma table. And it works so well. You can just see like when he when he rips the plastic off, he's like the first thing he says when he rips it off. And you can, this is something like you can't rehearse this crap. Like you can't rehearse this shit. Like you you have to like you have to. Just, this is just so natural. He was like he was like, man, that looks sexy. <laughs> I was just like, it's a plasma table. Um, but it's it just goes to show like having an energetic host who doesn't who, who just clearly gets joy out of this. His audience gets the same joy from it. And so hence his content is interesting to his audience. And so he ends up building community as a result. Yeah. And I guess like sitting here reflecting a little bit, like we both spend a ton of time on LinkedIn and I feel like the overarching narrative on LinkedIn is dominated by like sales and marketing companies that are crushing it on LinkedIn, which is why I think there's not a lot of chatter on that platform about like YouTube, YouTube. execution. But this is one example of several that I've seen in the last 12 months, one being obviously Todd Klauser from, from well, Love.com yeah. who we had on the show. 
But um, like Adam, the machinist is this guy on Instagram that we had do a webinar with us at Firetrace. He's got a huge YouTube following. Like sure. YouTube is a great channel or can be a great channel. Phenomenal channel. Companies. Oh, 100%. It's the problem. No, it's not, it's not a problem. It's an obstacle. Something you have to overcome in your thinking is that it's not direct attribution. You have to you have to have the right approach on YouTube to do well in it. You also have to be interesting. You have to commit to it. Um, you have to really, really pay attention to user feedback um, and iterate off of it. Um, but banks, but banks power is is obviously doing something right. And so um, I, I just thought it was. I thought that video was really well done. It was very interesting. Um, and I just wonder why more manufacturing companies don't look at unboxing videos as uh, a pathway for content for themselves. I also just frankly think the un- the box unboxing experience is something that marketers and manufacturing it's when you think about how much time and expense you probably spend making spec sheets and catalogs to hand out at trade shows or give to your sales team if you could pour half that amount of energy and probably a quarter of the cost to put something really personal um in the in your unboxing like a little thing like you know welcome to dot da, 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 da you are one of dot da, 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 like a little personalized message within like your box an easy thing for your assembly for your assembly technicians to throw into the box when it's once it's done just that little personal touch feel like that's something that's a huge missed opportunity i remember anecdotally i went to a trade show um and uh we sent all of our badge scams we sent them personalized boxes as thank you gifts. It was like, it was our own kind of form of account-based marketing before I really knew what account-based marketing was. And sure as hell, you know, three people who got that box out of 180, but still good amount, they pinged us. They tagged us on Instagram and said, cool, look at this like personalized swag box I got from the guys at Benzel with like tape measure and this and this and just a couple small, you know, swag tools and a little, little, and a, and a little like beanie cap. And they tagged us. And I was thinking, it made me think of this right now as we're talking about it, but like, that made me think about unboxing for your products. You could do something really similar, just a little something in there as a thank you. Um, and really that personal touch can go a long way towards building brand affinity for yourself. And so I would, you know, think about it's a low lift to, to hope to potentially get a lot of runway. Yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. I actually listened to a state of demand gen podcast today with the VP of marketing or the CMO of electric. And she was talking about how direct mail is crushing it for her in 2020 and in 2021. And uh, that's another one of those things that is just a little bit more of a personal touch. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of those things that you just have to experiment with and then you have to measure it on qualified opportunities, not on any other leading metric. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I think direct mail is just, obviously direct mail works or people wouldn't do it because I get direct mail all the time. But uh Definitely something that, you know, for doing account-based marketing or anything like that, um, if you can do it right, uh, I think you can definitely do really well with it. Obviously, there's tools like Sendoso and Alice that can help you with that. But it's, I certainly wouldn't overlook a tool like direct mail if you're willing to commit to it and, and really focus. Think about what you give them in your direct mail. It's very much like your creative. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely very interesting. So we're going to put the link to Banks Power's YouTube video uh, in the show notes so you guys can watch. It's 17 minutes. I promise you it's worth it. If you are a marketing industrial space and you want to do something cool for content or think like, how could I do that? Watch what they do here. And, you know, I think, again, the thing I want to just reiterate, how much this video leans into the founder story. It gets into it within the first two minutes of that 17-minute video, and it hooks me immediately. 
if he just got into unboxing the plasma plasma table, I probably would have bailed out after four minutes. But once he started talking about John Cromwell Lincoln and then pulling in Nikola Tesla at the same time, I was like, okay, I'm interested in that. And it kept me through the entire way. So again, don't underestimate the founder story ever, 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 ever. Okay. Let's go on to the next topic. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna talk LinkedIn posts, and uh, the one I pulled is actually a poll from Brooklyn Nash, and right. here here he's giving a little bit of background context. Seven years ago, he charged seventy five dollars for a fifteen hundred word article as a freelance writer. Uh, now he is asking people, what is the most you'd pay a freelance ar- uh, writer for a fifteen hundred word article? At seventy five dollars. and $2,000. So Matt, how much is the most that you would pay a freelance writer for a 1500 word article? Out of those four options or total? Just in general? Let's start with out of the four options. So I would easily pay $2,000 for uh, a really good 1500 word article. Absolutely. Like I... The difference between good writing and bad writing is so apparent (laughs) when you read it. It's like... Yeah, um, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't pinch pennies on that. Just given what I've seen, for, I, I've seen bad writing and it sucks. And it's, it's nothing. There's nothing as a marketer who wants to distribute content that you can do with that that's going to help it out. Yeah. So, so a couple I, of thoughts that came to my mind when I saw this. Um, first of all, I'm also in the 2000 category, um, and the first thought that popped into my head is 1500 words. That's like a that's like a pretty solid piece of content. I'm definitely going to want to promote that. Yep. We're doing a lot of promotion of our written content via paid social on Facebook and LinkedIn. And I'm spending anywhere from 1500 to 7500 bucks to promote it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if it's a big piece of content for me, it's probably, probably up in that $7,500, $8,000 range. And that's just on those two channels, right? I'm probably promoting it on other channels too. Um, and so I'm going to spend like four or five times that amount. Probably more when you, when you think about just the, when you think about the man hours or woman hours that you put into doing it too. I mean, yeah, for sure. You're going to spend 10 to 12 K promoting it. Right. If it's, yeah. if it's good. So it's like, why? Like, I mean, I look at content sometimes and I'm like, that content is bad. I don't want to pay to promote it. Like right. that's not a good position to be in as the VP of marketing. Like you want every content piece that your team has worked on to be worth promoting, right? Like sometimes, you know, you promote it and it doesn't work and that's just experimentation and you get better over time. But like, you don't want to pay to promote something that you know is mediocre before you even put it in front of a customer. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like good writing, you can't underestimate it. I mean, you, you're lucky when you're able to get a really good writer who will, you can pay 75 bucks for a 1500 word article like Brooklyn Nash. Because Brooklyn, I'm sure three years ago, even though he was undervaluing himself, was probably a pretty damn good writer um, and just didn't know just didn't know his market rate, you know, because now I'm sure Brooklyn's charging two to three grand for that same article. So if you're lucky to find that guy early, keep him. Um, But uh, just know that their price, their price is going to go up. We when I was at Gravy, we had this person, Bryce, and she did our, our website on Webflow. And she was dirt. She was really, really cheap. And I actually told her on my way out of gravy, I was like, you need to raise your rate. You need to double it at least because you're wait, you're, you are undervaluing how good you are in web development. Like sometimes it just takes someone who's paying you to tell you like you're, you're, you're worth more than what you're charging right now. You should definitely raise your rate. So 
Um, and about their freelancing, once I would upon say, a time, go ahead. What once upon a time I told Chris Walker that he wasn't charging enough. Did you? Oh, and and, and now <laughs> and now look at how much Chris charges. Nobody can afford him. And <laughs> so you can thank me for that. <laughs> nice. Nobody can afford him. Okay. All right. So my LinkedIn post is Maya Grossman. Um, I has been making the rounds on podcasts and on LinkedIn a little bit more lately, um, such as she's in a new role at Jumpstart. And so her post um, was about what are the most important skills for a marketer and what do you think it is? Do you think it's content? Do you think it's copywriting? Do you think it's you know paid, paid social, paid ad strategy, um, product marketing? Um, and her answer is the right answer. It's the basics, y'all. Um, and so she said, too many people think about marketing. Marketing is about tools or fancy jargon. But the best marketing, if you want to be a great marketer, focus on storytelling, analytical skills, customer development skills, lateral thinking, which I loved that one, thinking non-conventionally to solve problems. And it can take years to learn the basics, but it serves you for life. And essentially what the basics does is it, is it gives you the foundation and the confidence to develop a marketing strategy for your client or for your company, understand what's happening when you start getting results in and being acerbic enough to make refinements and iterations and kind of know what levers to pull as a result. And when you have a grip on the basics, you're able to do that with assurance and confidence and, and frankly have the patience to see it out. And when you don't have a mastery of the basics, you it's easy to be second-guessed and doubt yourself and lack discipline in your marketing. And so uh, I thought that post was brilliant. And for any of the marketing managers or, or younger marketers listening to the show, I would tell you to read that post from Maya Grossman, follow Maya Grossman. It's Maya with two A's, M-A-Y-A. Um, and uh, definitely look, master the basics and then the more advanced things will come a lot easier for you as a result. I, I kind of have a hot take with regard Go. to this. Give me this uh, hot take. Go for which, it. Which is, um, I think that, one of the major benefits of working for a big company earlier in your career is that I think big companies on average are better than startups at teaching young marketers the, the basics. Yeah, that's true. I, I would agree with that. Um, and that's why I think you see a lot of uh, CMOs and VPs of marketing with prior experience at big companies, uh, you know, understanding the tactics, right? Um, and but also having that really strong command of the basics and being more successful for it. And then I think the other thing that's driving that a little bit is that um, in small startups, the the CEO or the founders are doing a lot of that foundational marketing work for mm -hmm. for the company. Um, and then you need to figure out as you transition from small startup to to bigger company. How do you systemize that and how do you, you make it a function, make it a function of marketing uh, rather than just having the CEO do it? Because at a certain scale, the CEO cannot do the strategic marketing on behalf of the company. No, nor the sales. And so sometimes, and sometimes it's hard for the CEO to let go of that because they built it. It's their baby. And so, yeah, definitely, definitely a risk um, and something to navigate as a marketer. But I actually really agree with you on that because when you go to a bigger company, there's more systems in place. There's more processes in place. You're also you come in and you have a discipline usually that you're running. Like your your role is very well defined, and so you really get to master that role before you expand out. Whereas at a startup, you kind of are putting every fire out that you possibly can, and it's literally like we've talked about this many times: build the plane while you fly it. While that's great for the lateral thinking that Maya references here, 
it's not always great for really developing the foundational skill set for that, that some young marketers really need. Some some can overcome it, but I think others tend to tend then to become, you know, it's not a this isn't a bad term, but like jack of all trades, masters of none. But they really don't get a chance to master anything that they can lean on uh, as they get later in later in their career. Yeah, and I mean the the reason I the other reason I think that big companies do it better is because big companies have the resources and can invest to train you in those marketing fundamentals. Uh, Halma is a big company, even though Firetrace is not a big company, which is how I got access to the training. And uh, the two people that taught me basically everything I know about product marketing came from Hilti, big company, big industrial company. Mm -hmm. They do product marketing well. And Procter & Gamble, of course. Yeah. yeah, One of the the, the best marketing companies in the world, for sure. Okay. Let's do our excerpts from books. Um, You want to start? Yeah, sure. So mine is the 22... Immutable laws of marketing. Um, I haven't the, read. I think it's like law number five, law number six. It's called the law of focus. Okay. And the, this particular sentence that stuck with me is uh, one of the most powerful things in marketing is owning a word in the mind of your prospects. Like that. And uh, they use the example of FedEx. So FedEx. Uh, at one point in time, decided to, I don't think they decided to own this word, but uh, they decided to focus on overnight shipping. And they focused so effectively on overnight that they owned overnight in the mind of the prospects. You kind of, And I would argue they still kind of do. Like you FedEx something if you wanted to get yeah, there. Really actually, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's a verb. <laughs> yeah, so, so um, I, I think that's interesting to apply. I mean, it's very difficult to apply. Um, and I, I'm just, I, I look around and I try to see if there are companies that are trying to apply this. And, and the one I do see all the time is Dave Gerhardt. He, um, he loves the 22 immutable laws of marketing. So I'm not surprised to see him applying this, but he is trying to own the word sales in the mind. I, I believe based on what he posts, um, in the mind of his prospects, which are, which are, you know, e-commerce store owners. He, he's always oh, posted, pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. sales. Pretty is sales. Like sales yeah. is the word he's going after. Um, so yeah, that's, it's an interesting concept uh, to think about. I think it, at, at the very least, it's a good thought exercise for marketers. Like what is that word you would want to own in the mind of your Great. Super interesting. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would. That's something I'm going to be on trap some of my clients going forward. At this super, we definitely. I think a gorilla try to own like industrial marketing. That's definitely like the word we try to own. Um, or like because we. I mean, even our tagline is the industrial marketing agency, right? And so we really want to own that word. You see, everything kind of within our content moat is around that. The webinar series I do is industrial marketing live, and so we really are trying to own that. I know you also own that as well in your headline. So you're trying to take market share from us and I don't, I don't resent you for it, but, um, but yeah, no, definitely. That's definitely something I think people sometimes unintentionally discover that for themselves and then figure out like Eureka moment. Like that's what we do. Let's lean into it. You know? So it's not always something that happens on purpose, but sometimes it's just a competency that you develop. And then you realize that is a, um, that's something that's indistinguishable from your brand. Um, for sure. All right, so mine is from Turning the Flywheel, which is not a book so much as it is a monograph from uh, Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great and Built to Last. Um, and I almost want to read this whole thing, but it's I can't. It's 42 pages, so it'll take too long. But I'll go um, – I'll, I'll, I'm going to jump a little bit here. He says, once you fully grasp how to create flywheel momentum in your particular circumstance – 
and apply that understanding with creativity and discipline, you get the power of strategic compounding. Each turn builds upon previous work as you make a series of good decisions, supremely well executed, that compound one upon the other. That is how you build greatness. Never underestimate the power of a great flywheel, especially when it builds compounding momentum over a very long time. Once you get your flywheel right, you want to renew and extend that flywheel for years to for years to decades, decision upon decision, action upon action, turn by turn, each loop adding to the cumulative effect. But to best accomplish this, you need to understand how your specific flywheel turns. So your flywheel won't be, won't be identical to a company like Amazon, which he references in this monograph, or Intel, which he references in this monograph, but it should be just as clear and its logic equally sound. And so um, I think about Rand Fishkin wrote a great uh, blog article on marketing flywheels that I'd recommend anybody here read that blog where discovering your marketing flywheel, whether you have like an SEO flywheel or a paid ads flywheel or a PR flywheel, like there's marketing flywheel um, frameworks out there. I would suggest finding them. Um, but I, the flywheel concept is it's evergreen at this point for companies. Um, and you can absolutely develop your own flywheel within your department. And so don't think a flywheel is simply just something that happens on a company level strategically. You can build a flywheel down in the roots of your organization. Uh, this book, Turning the Flywheel, which I would recommend reading, he uses an example for a music festival. Here's an example for an elementary school that built a flywheel. So you can apply it almost anywhere in life and, and in your in your department if, you, uh, if you're able to. So um, just something to consider. Uh, the steps and how each each step is like the logical conclusion of the next, which I, I, I find just endlessly fascinating. Very cool. So uh, let's see. You talked about YouTube, probably underrated, probably underrated by Matt and I, because we don't have personal experience crushing it on YouTube, but doesn't I did okay mean- YouTube at Benzel. I did pretty good at YouTube at Benzel, but I have not. I've not done a YouTube strategy for a client at Gorilla. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just feel like we don't talk about YouTube a lot. So shout out to we YouTube. Don't. YouTube yeah. is great for industrial. Just because we don't talk about it a lot doesn't mean that you can't crush it on YouTube. And you can. Sure. And you can listen to our episode with Todd Klauser. Um, then we talked about how much should you pay a freelancer, and we're both on uh, on the side of you can pay a lot for a freelancer if you're getting quality work. Now you could probably pay a freelancer like seventy five bucks for a three hundred dollar SEO article, so it's about knowing what you pay for there. Um, we talked about uh, owning a word in the mind of your prospects, and we talked about flywheels. So um, pretty good episode, I think. That was a pretty good episode. Yeah. So so much things, so many things you can learn on the industrial marketing show if you stay till the end and listen to all of MJ and I's great advice and tactical tips. But anyway, appreciate your guys' time as always. Um, this was a fun episode, MJ. I, I enjoyed talking about unboxing videos for sure. That was that was awesome. All right, y'all. So let me wrap this show up. You guys can catch the industrial marketing show on all of the major podcasting platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. Please leave us a review, written review, five-star review, all those great reviews. We want your reviews. Thank you for your reviews. Um, if you have a topic idea, you can always hit MJ or myself up on direct message. Um, we would love feedback on this new format. We've been really enjoying it. MJ's nodding your head. Yeah, MJ's nodding your head. So um, we would like to see if you guys like it too, because we want to do more episodes like this. And uh, yeah, man. Uh, This is it for the Industrial Marketing Show for this week. So with that, I am Matt. And I am MJ. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.